Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And let's face it, what's going on globally, what's going on in, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine affects all of us. And, uh, and in some ways, profoundly, a lot of the uh, economic concerns all the uh, Western countries have have a direct link to what's going on in that war and, and uh you know, maintaining our morale, let alone the morale of the Ukrainians that the vast majority of the world seems sympathetic to, is really challenging. And one of the people I'd love to talk to about the war situation is my guest this segment, who uh, is uh, Dr. Bob Arnott. Uh, many know him as, as a New York Times bestselling author. They know him as a medical uh, editor for both NBC News and CBS News at points in his career. Uh, but they also know, I hope, uh, not only from my show, but from others, his uh, career as a war correspondent. He's done a phenomenal job covering stories like this, and including for us, this particular war. Always love having you on the program, Dr. Bob. We haven't had a, an update in a while, you and I, about the war. And it seems like the uh, Ukrainians are better equipped than at any time since, war, since this war has begun um, and it seems to me that uh, the Russians are more demoralized than any point in the war. But it also seems like it's, it's still an incredible stalemate. You know, it, it's interesting that you have the Wagner group that's, uh, you know, withdrawing in part. Uh, you have breakthroughs now by the Ukrainians and all these wonderful new Western weapons, which makes a big difference. In other words, they have artillery now that can go a much longer distance. They're able to actually go into Russia itself or be able to send artillery into Russia itself. But it always has been sort of a red line battle. How far can the Ukrainians push without some kind of a nuclear retaliation? And, you know, that, that's kind of the way that we've calibrated it, too. In other words, at day one, we gave them all this stuff. And, you know, the question would be, would they just go to some kind of nuclear weapon? So... This way, it was a slow slog. It makes it safer for the rest of us. And of course, selfishly, it's to our own advantage because now we get to try all the weapon systems out. We get to see every single tactic of, you know, the country that we're most likely to get to war against. And it's, it's you know, for the Defense Department, it's kind of a dream come true. We get to try all our weapon systems, see how they work against the Russians and not lose a single personnel. You know, unfortunately, it's the Ukrainians. But there was a... <laughs> joke that, you know, that Russia before this started <clears throat> was the number two army in the world, and now they're the number two army in Ukraine. The uh, Ukrainians are better. I mean, it's just a, a better army. You know, they obviously are in smaller numbers, uh, and it's always very hard to go up against defenders. You know, it's one thing to be on yeah. the offense, not on the defense, which is what the Ukrainians were early on, where they were able to repulse them from going into, into Kiev, into the nation's capital. But now, that they're going after defenders. It's expensive. And I think that, you know, we tend to get very pumped up. As I was yesterday when I read that they're breaking through in places, you know, that dam collapse that took out mostly Russian positions. But I think, you know, the cold, harsh reality is that they really don't have enough to win outright. With that dam down, it means that there's less water into Crimea. And they may be more likely to think about uh, coming out. But it seems that this is kind of the point of the war where the Russians realize, as Putin said the other day, we don't have enough modern weapons to fight the Ukrainians. And when the Ukrainians are starting to have some luck and on the offensive, but 
It's not going to be a route. It's not going to be, you know, yeah. Alabama against uh, some junior high school team. You know, Russia is all too willing, as it was in World War II, to sacrifice people and to just throw as much artillery fire as they possibly can. Just, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, so, now we think for negotiation. Now is the time. Because... After all, yeah, the, Republic, the Russians we, don't have a problem with uh, giving up bodies. Uh, in fact, uh, Joseph Stalin was asked uh, after World War II, uh, how did the Allies win the war? And he said it was uh, American, American supplies, British intelligence, and Russian bodies. That's literally was his answer. That's how we won World War II. Um, I think, you know, when I look at this situation, a couple of things that comes to mind is that the history of the U.S. Uh, really military since World War II is that we haven't won much when you get down to it. <laughs> we really haven't. You know, we can look at Grenada. That was nice. Uh, you know, the little item of Grenada. Uh, but we haven't really won definitively and long term, uh, you know, with, with, with very rare exception. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, um, up to World War II, uh, when we got into a military conflict, it required a vote by the United States Congress. And it required an investment. You know, you had members of Congress holding the military at a very high level to get these wars won because their personal credibility was racked up uh, in the process. Um, in this particular war, they, they needed the uh, planes that they're finally getting and the, and the vehicles uh, that they're uh, finally getting. They needed them from day one. They're only finally getting some of those. And, and it's always just enough to keep it in it. At this point, it really feels like the only winner in this war is the uh, military-industrial complex that Dwight Eisenhower warned uh, the American people about in his, uh, one of his final speeches as President of the United States. And, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're banking, as you well know. I think, it, I think it's imperative that the U.S. Uh, look at, at uh, being involved in a strategy uh, negotiation to get this thing finished. Uh, because they have no intention to have an all-out victory. That's my view. They have no intention because an all-out victory would uh, be interpreted by the Russians that it's time to engage with uh, the United States or the West. It's already pretty dicey and dangerous for our allies in Eastern Europe. No, it's very tricky. You know what's so interesting, too, is that one of the reasons that the U.S. hasn't won many wars, although you could say we at least won the initial phase of the Iraqi war. I actually went in with the uh, first, uh, you know, first Marine Division there. Uh, we went right into Baghdad. It was, it was a route, you know, and I was with the Marines again when they went to Kuwait City for first Gulf War. So both of those were technical wins at the beginning, but at a very interesting time with a Syrian army general. And I was interviewing for TV show. I said, what do you do? He says, you know, I'm a tank battalion commander. And I said, the next war, what will your role be with tanks? And he says, no role. He says, all role, all, basically, uh, wars of the future are going to be asymmetrical. That is, you're going to have a big armed force, and then you're going to have people along the roadside with rocket propelled grenades, AK-47s, and roadside bombs. And so for the U.S., it's very difficult because if you're fighting the people of a country, as we were in Vietnam, you know, the Vietnam there, then it just, it just, how do you do that? You know, so 
militarily, you really have to be able to pick your objectives. And that's where Colin Powell was so good. It's like you have to have very, very clear objectives. And man, with Ukraine, are they muddy. I mean, what's the objective? You know, take some burned out town, take a little front line, or throw the Russians out altogether, which is probably impossible. Get Crimea back, which, you know, might be possible. But it's just because the fundamental nature of war has changed so much. You know, I, I always used to say in Africa, because I've been to a lot of those civil wars, is, you know, I wish somebody would win, even the bad guys, because then the loss of life among the civilians, among women and children, would stop. But what happens in this modern world is that you don't have decisive war. And so there's a wonderful organization down in Washington, and what they do is they engage the military to say, look, it, you guys want to fight each other, go at it. But make sure you're not targeting civilians because it's the organization is called Civic, founded by Reagan Farmer. And what happens is that when any war goes bad, the administration's sole strategy is to kill civilians. And what is atrocious about this war in Ukraine is that the Russians are losing pretty much all the time on the front line. So what do they do? They take their missiles and they'll hit a playground, an apartment building all civilian casualties. And that's the tragedy of modern war, is it's the strategists say, let's go kill civilians. And the Russians have done it, you know, better than anybody. And interesting too, you know, during World War II, it started out the same way as Ukraine. They had no communications, as the Russians did at the beginning of the war. They had, you know, no uh, enlisted supervision, you know, master sergeants to help supervise combat or whatnot. And what they did is they used the NKVD divisions, these secret police divisions, between each one of the ranks of Soviet army. And if you turn back, they shot you on the spot. So they were motivated to just keep going to Berlin because they were going to get killed by their own people. So the Russians really don't care. That is, the, the government, Putin's government, really doesn't care that over 200,000 people have died. I mean, I care. I feel terrible about these poor Russian mothers. Son might be a successful lawyer in St. Petersburg, gets the draft notice, goes off, and it, it is killed. You know, probably didn't kill anybody. It was just there in a mortar shell or artillery shell landed. So it's just a terrible tragedy. And I think for all of us, we want to take a step back and look at the work of CIVIC, C I V I C, and their message, which is don't target civilians. You want to have a war, yeah. try out your equipment, go at it, you know, like like uh, growing up little boys, uh, but don't lose the death of civilians as a metric in terms of how you can the war. Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, once again, uh, a major power like Russia, like uh, the United States, uh, is taken to school by uh, – a very poor, relatively speaking, small country uh, because of the fact that there's very few things more powerful than the motivation of being the attack rather than being attacker without any real logical reason, at least among the troops that are moving. You know, we saw that in Vietnam, how this little third world country uh, continued to fight, you know, and the fact that our allies uh, there simply did not have the ability or the resolve to actually win. Uh, we were adamant in Vietnam not to win the war. It had to be done by the North Vietnam Vietnamese. You know, I mean, by the South Vietnamese. And the North Vietnamese, you know, it's like, oh, great, now it's the United States. So when are we going to come after these guys? We've already dealt with the French 
for decades. Oh, we had Japan before that. And again, underestimating uh, what the uh, what the uh, enemy was like. Russia certainly has done that. Um, certainly, they did that in Afghanistan. I mean, this stuff gets really difficult to watch. Not a whole lot of clarity, a lot, a whole lot of ego. You know, we saw that in the Pentagon Papers, as it described, uh, you know, why the U.S. was in there. U.S. prestige. How many thousands of lives killed for U.S. prestige? Wars need to be won, or they need to not be fought. And we have gotten very comfortable with a purgatory or a limbo, uh, you know, between the extreme of winning and losing. That purgatory is worse than losing, to be honest with you. Yeah, there's a wonderful slogan, which was, never fight a land war in Asia. You know, we should have learned that <coughs> a long yeah. time ago, especially with the experience in, um, in Afghanistan. It was, you know, look who they defeated, the British Empire, the biggest empire in the world at the time. They defeated the Russians. You could say they defeated us. Just a big mistake to go into these countries. And I think what happens is that, you know, our logic at the top, which is so politicized, is just terrible in terms of how and when we go into wars. I remember that JFK, when he was president with Vietnam, kept being asked by the military for more advisors. And he says, well, we can do that, but it's like a cocktail. You take the cocktail, feel good for a few minutes, the effect wears off, and you have to take another and another. And I believe that John F. Kennedy would not have gone on to fight a full-fledged war in Vietnam. We just, we get trapped, we're late, we're not strategic, we don't think about things. So, you know, we need much, much, much better diplomacy because, after all, we did sort of lure the Russians into this war. You remember in 2014, there was the overthrow of a democratically elected president of Ukraine. And, of course, he was pro-Russian, but, you know, we were all behind that. And then, you know, we sort of push the democracy movement in and, you know, push, the, you know, the Ukraine towards NATO and whatnot, but we did not properly quit them. You know, if in January of the year the war started, they had several hundred F-16s and they had, you know, thousands of M1A tanks, uh, it would have been a completely different game. And, you know, we, yeah, we should it's a game. It's a game that may have never started. That's how significant the impact could have been. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's the old saying? Uh, Afghanistan is the country where empires go to die. And we've learned nothing about Afghanistan. You go back to the entire history of the country, and that's what happens in Afghanistan. Uh, to me, it's just shocking. I get, I get really, uh, uh, <laughs> I get livid when I think about it. To me, it's so arrogant. Uh, big countries' views of these small countries is so arrogant and uh, we really have to have a logical risk and reason to be involved and if we're going to be involved we better we better do it with the intention of getting it done which means congress should be involved in actually voting for the operation or against the operation this this you know president doing on his own being undermined by congress continuously we see how that has worked it's not worked it's literally not worked, with the exception that you talked about. We did major fighting, as George, uh, George uh, W. Bush said, major fighting is over. Well, we had minor fighting for years afterward, you know, in, in our, uh, Iraq before we finally, uh, you know, even got that into a position where we could leave. And again, what did we leave? What did we leave behind? Oh, boy, get me going. We can go on for hours about this. I want to see the U.S., you know, do the right thing in this, including the right thing for the people of Ukraine who are my heroes. Those people are phenomenal. 
But what we do now currently is a very ugly limbo that is tormenting the people of Ukraine. And of course, their leadership can't give up. That's not an option. And I admire them for that. But we've got to be, take a, a different role. I was very excited or very happy. I need to not be sarcastic. I happened to see that the allies, the NATO allies, did a massive war games right there uh, on the border uh, with Russia uh, uh, this past week, sending a message that we're united. That's good. Frankly, our friends in Poland and those uh, Eastern European countries, they need that message sent. But uh, we got to do the right thing in, in uh, Ukraine. And unfortunately, if we're not willing to give them what they need, then negotiation that's reasonable seems to be the only option to me. Final thoughts from you, sir, as we wrap it up. Well, the polls have been just remarkable. You know, they, they suffered, of course, 1939-40 when the Russians invaded them. They know what it's like when they saw what happened in Ukraine. They go, we could be next. And they have been fabulous in terms of equipment and personnel. We work with them on the refugee front with our Health Tech Without Borders group. But it, fundamentally, you know, the problem has been in the United States that the general population sort of abrogates any responsibility for foreign policy. Oh, it's too complex. You know, all these Ivy League guys, you know, they're smarter than everybody else stuck in. And, you know, we saw it after World War II and the beginning of the Cold War in Vietnam. And so, you know, if we actually knew what it's about, I think the people would object, but they don't. You know, we know about, you know, health care and fraud, and we know about all the recent scandals in our neighborhood. But by sort of saying, well, these people are smarter and they're more expert, they prove they absolutely are not smarter or more expert. They've made just one catastrophic mistake after another. So, it's very important for people to listen to terrific shows like yours, Kevin, to become educated enough to say no. Because what happens is then as we are about to go to war, there'll be some kind of provocation, like, well, we don't like Pearl Harbor, we pull up our battleships there. There'll be some provocation, and then suddenly we all give up all our political beliefs, and we get behind the commander-in-chief. Commander-in-chief can do no wrong. But the fact is they can do lots and lots wrong, and they do. So that's the yeah. message is we've got to know enough about this to really be able to sway our congressmen and women so that we don't make these terrible decisions. As you pointed out, since World War II, we really haven't made any of anything. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Adrian Kubecki, who is the Council General for uh, Poland, he's a, he's a regular on the program. He gives me a great insight on uh, what's going on with what he calls New Europe, Europe, what they call New Europe, the countries that are relatively new members of uh, NATO and uh, the EU, and uh, old Europe. And the interesting tensions and conflicts. Um, I've traveled extensively in Poland and, and uh, Eastern Europe. I love Poland. Poland is one of my favorite countries in the world. World, not so much for its aesthetics, but for its people. They are hardy people, and uh, you know they are people who really uh, believe in, in the right thing. They are people that stick to their guns. Uh, no one's helped the uh, people of Ukraine like the people of Poland. It's, it's phenomenal what they've done uh, with their resources and their open uh, open door policies. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you on that. We need to do the right thing. Always love having you on. Always look forward to our next interview the minute the interview I'm in ends. That's how much I enjoy having you on, Doc. <laughs> such a wonderful day. You're such a, such a compassionate and knowledgeable host. It's always a treat for me to be on your show. Well, I appreciate you very much, sir. Dr. Bob Arnott, we always have links uh, to things he's involved in over at PriceofBusiness.com. I'm Kevin Price. Stay tuned for more. 
after this.